imitators of God from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. So this is um, part 16 in our series on the book of Ephesians. Imitators of God. So in the first three chapters of the epistle in our series we have we have laid the theological foundations for our faith. There's a lot of truth, a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology involved in those three chapters. But then from chapter 4 onwards, we have had the, the practical applications of what that means. So we've had uh, Kevin and Wally and Sam, and I really thank them for looking after uh, chapter 4 while I was away. So this morning we, we are starting kicking off in chapter 5. Imitating God. Interesting concept, isn't it? It is interesting watching children as they grow up. They, they tend to copy the things that their parents say and do, don't they? The American activist and author James Baldwin once said, he said, uh, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. A girl might uh, try to model herself after her mother when a child, and then as she becomes a teenager, she swaps mum for a celebrity or someone else that she admires, a rock star or something. Many have taken a picture from, uh, from a magazine of some idol, some star, and they take it to the hair salon and say, give me that look, give me that haircut. Now this is called mimesis or mimic, which is the word that is actually used in the, in the original language in our passage, which is the word for imitation, to, to mimesis, to imitate. And it's more than the looks, because they often seek to become like them in the mannerisms and lifestyle as well. So if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery than to actually look just like someone you idolise is also part of that transformation. The world of advertising knows this all too well, don't they? This is why multinational companies pay a lot of money for sports stars to wear their brands and shoes T-shirts, because kids want to wear what their heroes are wearing. And there are some who take it to the extreme, like the, uh, the 21-year-old Russian woman who spent $100,000 because she wanted to look like Barbie, so she's had all these plastic surgeries to look like a Barbie doll, imitating not even a living being, but Barbie doll. In the Christian world, we've we've also seen something like this, uh, and some take it to the extreme. Of course, uh, 
around about Easter time, we sometimes get the get the footage of somewhere in the Philippines. There is a guy who every year uh, he crucifies himself because he wants to look like Jesus. You know, the whole passion um, thing, and he nails himself to the cross every year. Is this what it means to imitate God? So what does it mean to imitate God? Well, you might be surprised to know that the imitation of God, the Latin word is imitatio Dei, is not a uniquely Christian concept. Um, This idea is also found in ancient Greek philosophy. It appears in one form or another in Plato and Aristotle and also in some other world religions. The difference is that for them it is the idea of, of man seeking to find salvation by attempting to realise their concept of, of deity, of supreme deity. They want to copy their god or their gods in order to become them, a demigod. And this obviously is the oldest lie that uh, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the devil said to Eve, you will be like God. Now in the Bible, the believer is called to imitate God on several occasions. The the very foundation of the Old Testament is, is based on this. God said to his people, be ye holy, for I, your, your God, your Lord, your God, am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Matthew 5.48 Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke 6.36 Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We are told to follow the ways of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, We hear Paul say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So again we ask ourselves a question, what does that actually look like? Well in the early 1400s, Thomas Kempis, a German monk, wrote the, the classic devotional called The Imitation of Christ. It is perhaps the most widely read Christian devotional work next to the Bible and is regarded as a, as a devotional religious classic. And apart from the Bible, at the time no book had been translated in more languages than The Imitation of Christ. But Kempis, he had an interesting interpretation of what it meant to to, to imitate Christ. He said that if you want to get close to God, you need to withdraw from the world and its temptation and develop the internal disciplines in order to imitate Christ. And church history has many examples of people that did just exactly that. So many believers have become ascetics. They, they went and joined some, some order, some religious order, They renounced the world, took some vows and separated themselves from the world. Is this what God is calling us to do? 
Our text this morning is crucial because it serves to introduce the next subjects which come in chapter 5, which are regarding moral purity, on relationships and family. And he contrasts God's way of love versus the world's way of love. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says that here we come to what is perhaps Paul's supreme argument to to the highest level of all in doctrine and practice, the ultimate ideal. He lay, Paul lays down a principle that governs everything. The entire Christian life can be summed up as imitate God as we walk in love. So let us read the words from our text. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a a fragrant aroma. Now in the previous verses that the other guys looked at, uh, Paul showed us how we are to put off the old way of life and put on the new man, the new person in Christ. Which brings us to the therefore. Therefore means that there is an an application here. These verses summarise the Christian life and this is what the true believer is aiming for. The command is to not aim here, not aim there, but our aim is the the utmost, the highest, the, the, the highest possible example that you can possibly have to imitate God. That is for the believer. But what about if you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in God? Well, just do as you want, really. What's going to be your motivation? Who are you going to follow? What's going to be your example? Those who reject God will obviously devote themselves to something else. Money, science, philosophy, power, fame, whatever. Because for them God is, is dead. It, it's, he's insignificant. He has no meaning, the idea of God. So do what you want, really. And it's interesting because when, when, when Nietzsche, the philosopher, the German philosopher, said that God is dead, it wasn't that man had actually managed to kill God. That wasn't what he meant. It's just that for Nietzsche, God had been displaced. He observed that God had already been displaced or replaced in people's lives. They took no account of him. And so for him, now that God has been displaced, let's just get on with our lives and do what we want. That's what he was saying. And, and sadly, he, w- he was right in his conclusion because if God is dead for us, we are, sim- we are left to our own devices. We, we will just stop playing Christian and let's just devote ourselves. Let's waste, stop wasting our time 
and do whatever we want. And man then seeks to create idols to worship, including worshipping ourselves or a form of ourselves. And it naturally follows that whatever we worship and idolise, we tend to become like that. So if we worship dumb things and harmful things, we will end up like them. That is why the Bible makes so much about idolatry and the damage that it causes. It has to do with adoring and worshipping anything other than the one and true and living God. So let's break these couple of verses down in order to understand what God's command is to us. Firstly, to imitate God, we must be his beloved children. Verse 1, it says, as beloved children. It seems obvious, but contrary to popular belief, all people are not children of God. Yes, there is a sense in which we are all God's children by virtue of the fact that he created us in his image. All humanity bears the image of God. But the Bible is clear that we become children of God when we are born into his family through a spiritual birth. When he becomes Lord of our lives, we become his children. This is where the Christian life begins. So it's not about so much about what we do, it's about who we are. And because of who we are, then it follows that there is an implication about how we are to live. This is what it, it implies, this is what it means. What we do flows out of who we are. So we cannot expect non-Christians to behave like Christians. We cannot expect a society that does not believe in God to live godly lives. Yes, we could be a society that has Christian roots, Christian traditions, Christian upbringing, even based, a society with, with its laws and, and based on Christian values. But that will only go a certain distance because the moment that you stop worshipping God, follow other things, then those Christian roots will be severed. And away you go. Romans 1. That's the implications. And we are seeing the evidence of what happens to a society when the Christian roots are severed. It's a free-for-all, isn't it? We are, here it says, we are to imitate a Heavenly Father because we are His children. John says, in John 1.12, But as many as received Him... To them he gave the right to become children of God. 
simple. It can't be any simpler than that. And as we know, every father has a special love for his children. But no matter how much an earthly father loves his children, the heavenly father loves his own beloved children much, much, much more. And as John said in 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So we start, before we start thinking about imitating God, uh, we must be one of his beloved children. And, and, and if you are here this morning and you still... Don't consider yourself a child of God and you have no, not that special relationship with them. Then you have to, what are you waiting for? Turn your heart over to God. And you will be his child. That, that is his promise. Surrender your life to him. Secondly, to imitate God, we must know him and his ways. Let's face it, it's very difficult to Imitate someone that you hardly know or have no interest in. Um, in, um, in movies, actors follow what is, uh, what is called, there's one form of acting, and some actors follow this, they, what is called method acting. In other words, they study intimately the character they're trying to portray on the big screen and then live out the life of the person that they are portraying while filming and even when the cameras stop rolling they follow that lifestyle they take it home that's serious right Method acting, they get really into the character. And this goes on for months or until filming stops. Method acting. Sometimes the whole exercise becomes psychologically dangerous as they take on the very persona of that person. For example, the late Australian actor Heath Ledger he was a method actor and many actually say that off screen he was unable to switch off his portrayal of the character that he was playing in the Batman film, the Joker and that had tragic consequences, he was not able to switch off a child who spends very little time with his father will not be greatly influenced by him. Influence is directly proportional to the, to the time spent together. And when a father spends time with his children, they will pick up his mannerisms for good or for bad. They will see how he treats his mother and learn how to relate to others. It will pick up the moral standards and be influenced to follow the same standards. Psychologists tell us that most adult behaviour can be traced back to the things they did as children. 
There are figures coming out now that between 50 and 70% of households in America, in Australia, there is no father. There is no father, there is no father figure. The father is absent. That has tremendous implications for how, what, we, what is happening to our children and our families. That is as, as a level of society. But I'm here to tell you that even if the physical father was missing from your life, you never had a father as such, or maybe he, he gave a bad example, there is someone who is perfect. And that is the one that you're aiming for. Don't aim for even for your, your earthly father. Aim for the heavenly one who will never leave you or forsake you. That is the promise from Scripture. Paul says that we are children of God. And here is your heavenly, holy father who says you imitate him as you imitated your earthly father. And to get to know God, we spend time with him in his word and in prayer. And, and it is crucial that we come to know God as he has revealed himself and not as, as the God is portrayed in our culture. Yes, he most definitely is love, as the word of God says, but also he is holy, he is righteous, and he also disciplines his children. In Hebrews we read, we have all had human fathers who, who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They, that's the earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That we may share in his holiness. And, and, and heaven is about sharing his holiness for eternity. So it's, it is surprising, as I've mentioned before, that it is surprising to hear of people or talk to people who want to share God's holiness in heaven when they have no interest to do so while on earth. You never got to know God here and yet you want to somehow spend the rest of eternity with him. What are you thinking? It doesn't work like that. Get to know him now. What he's like. See if you really want to do spend eternity with him. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to go to the other place. Maybe you want to go to hell. That's open for you as well. But if you want to spend your time the rest of eternity in heaven, and eternity is a pretty long time, then get to know God now. He's ready and waiting. We have his word, we have his spirit, let's get to know him. Thirdly, to imitate God, we must walk in love. And it says here, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, 
an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What is the ultimate motive then for this imitation? The characteristic that Paul mentions to us is love. Why did Jesus suffer and die? For love. That was the motivation. So to be like God, we also must walk in love. And Christ is the supreme example of love. And this all sounds very simple, doesn't it? But boy, is it hard to, to live like this. Jesus told his disciples, John thirteen thirty four, Love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. In other words, he said to his disciples, and he's saying to us, you have, you have seen me do it, now you go and do it. Now this, this is the fifth time that Paul has used the word to walk in Ephesians, in the epistle of the Ephesians. Fifth time. The, the word to walk implies uh, a step by step. It's not running, It's not a sprint, but a slow, steady progress towards a goal. This is what it means. And it can also mean to to regulate one's life, to be controlled, regulated, to be driven, to be defined by love. It refers to our whole, entire manner of living. The point is, the longer you're a Christian, the more your life should be characterised by love. And unfortunately, it tends to work the other way, because the the longer we are a Christian, the more fed up we become with people. I've had enough. I don't want to hang around with you anymore. I don't want the church. I don't need the church. Bunch of hypocrites. Nobody cares. Nobody loves me. Do you love others? Well, it's not about me, it's about others. Well, no, it's what you just said. You want to be loved? Start showing love. Love others as I have loved you, Jesus said. Start living it out. Show it, display it. To know Christ and to hold him as as a supreme example is is not good enough. It's not good enough. I can personally know Messi, you know, the soccer player, and use him as an example to follow. But as much as I admire him as as a player and even as a person, he hasn't got the power to forgive my sins. He doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit in, in, to, to give me the Holy Spirit to, and the promise of eternal life. He can't do that. As much as many people idolise him, it's only limited for this time, for this place, and soon he'll be forgotten and blah, blah, blah. The foundation for following Christ's example 
is to trust in his atoning sacrifice. This is what it says here. He gave himself up for us. Mercy will not give himself up for you. It's not going to happen. Even if you look like him and even if you have the skills and, and learn from me and such, this is, he will not ever become an atoning sacrifice for your sins. There was only one person ever who did that. Jesus Christ. His death satisfied the justice and the wrath of God against our sin. This is the meaning of the phrase, the the fragrant aroma. Pleasing to God. We study how Christ loved people. And in a nutshell, he was kind and gentle with the broken but he was forceful and direct with the hypocrites. Walking in love includes those who are especially difficult to love. And it was he who took the initiative on our behalf, even while we were yet sinners. He took the initiative. And let's remember that our main motivation in loving others should be to glorify God. And we need to remind ourselves of this. We've said it many times. It's good to be reminded again and again. What is the motivation to love, to glorify God? Why? Because I have seen many people who love others And the motivation is so that they can be loved back. So that they can do things for them. So they can respond in kind. With a hope to get back from those people to whom they've shown mercy and and forgiveness and love. And I said, well, I've tried. Done everything but nothing in return. Well, then you have to ask, well, why did you do it? And I have to remind them, when we do so, it's because we want to glorify God without expecting anything in return. Anything that comes in return is a bonus. But that should not be our motivation. You show Christ's love because he tells you to do it. Don't do it because you expect somebody to be thankful. I've long given up on that one. Some people will say thank you, others couldn't care less. So let's, it's good to remind ourselves the reason why we are doing it in the first place, which is, as Colossians 3.23 says, we are doing it for the Lord, not for men. Not for men. And fourthly, Imitating God gives us a perfect goal. A perfect goal. It isn't something to aim for, it is actually someone. It's a person. And not just anyone. There is, there is no, at least I'm better than him, or at least I'm better than her. We, we dare not, you see, we dare not lower the standard any lower than God himself. Because if I start comparing myself to Mary or Louise or whoever it is, I'm already lowered my standard. 
Can't do that. Not allowed. You can't even say, or at least I'm better than my father, I'm better than my mother. We can't do that. Just lower the standard. At least I'm better than Pastor Paul. You can't do that. It's very easy to do, actually. But the standard is God. And, and if a true believer is meant to be becoming what he or she worships, we are to be becoming more and more like Christ. And, and the New Testament often speaks of this. Romans 8.29 For those God foreknew, he also predestined to, to do what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Not to be conformed to the likeness of the pastor. To be conformed to the likeness of the son, Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. To Corinthians 3.18 And we And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate God's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ever increasing, more like him. How easily we forget that our calling is to be like Jesus in the everyday situations of our lives. And remember, it's not about what we do so much as who we are. And what we do is a result of who we are. And when we know who we are, it's not hard to figure out what we are supposed to do. And all I'm doing here this morning is reminding you who you are in Christ and what you're supposed to be doing and all of us together. To become more and more Christ-like while resembling less and less our old nature and what that was like. And in the following weeks we are going to look at the implications, the practical implications of what it is to imitate God. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us more of that. Remember what we said before. The more admirable the hero and the more intense your admiration is, the more profound will be your transformation. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable and our admiration rises to the most absolute worship in every sense. For he is our Lord, he is our Saviour. Therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change has to be profound. For we are being fitted, moulded, transformed as the people who will spend eternity with him. May all the glory go to him. Amen. Our last song um, is a 